Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum. I'm Michelle Portlock, your host, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Lindsay Pratcher. And Lindsay, I actually know Lindsay because she has helped multiple members of my family. And so we have a professional relationship, but I also secretly consider her a friend, but it's secret. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, Lindsay graduated in 2015 from Midwestern University's Physician Assistant Program. She's a Chicago suburb native, but has lived in Denver since finishing PA school. She started her career in interventional pain management, but found that psychiatry was more of her calling. She has spent the past three years at Colorado Psychiatry Center, where her primary focus is child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, in Lindsay's free time, she enjoys cooking and the Peloton. So, which she said she just rode this morning. <laughs> I'm glad you guys can't see my face. It's very red. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Way to get it done. So, Lindsay, I'm just so happy that you you said yes, that you would allow me this time and those that are listening to learn from you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. This is my first podcast experience. So oh, yay. Well, you're doing great. So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so Lindsay, tell me, tell me about what you do. Sure. Um, so I work at our Inverness clinic um, down in the, in the tech center, and I do primarily just medication management. That's what we do in psychiatry. Mm -hmm. But we collaborate care with um, primary care doctors, therapists, all sorts of specialists. We even work with schools sometimes, you know, needing to get accommodations done for kids. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I see about... I don't know, 15 to 20 patients on average per day. Um, they're about 20 minutes for follow-up, an hour for initial evaluation. And um, we just give clear diagnostics and uh, provide medication accordingly. Okay. Not everyone's going to treat every pathology that they have with medication, mm -hmm. but um, we were there to offer a menu of options and collaborate together. Mm, that's great. Also, I had no idea that you saw 15 to 20 patients per day. That is quite yeah. a schedule. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's a busy one. So something that you said that I found really interesting is you said that you, you can collaborate with schools to help meet a student's need, a child's need or needs. So is this something that like, I didn't know you did this. So do parents give the school permission and the school essentially reaches out to you and says, tell me what, what resources and what tools and maybe medications you're providing for the child. How does yeah, that work? So it's, uh, it's more common for me to get involved in the initial process when a child is getting um, evaluated for a 504 or an IEP, okay. which are school accommodations. Um, so I'll say that they're under my care and I recommend things that the parents and I have discussed. Maybe that's extra test time. If the child has ADHD or if it's generalized anxiety disorder, maybe they need, um, ability to go see the school counselor at any time, mm. you know, some, some accommodations that way. So I detail that in letters. Mm. Um, there's also, um, we can sign release forms for the school counselor or any of the teachers to discuss with me some of the things that are going on in school. Um, just so I get a fuller picture. I feel like it's, you know, I'm only as good as the information I'm giving, you yes. know, it's like psychiatry, there's no, there's no blood test or MRI scan to tell mm -hmm. me how they're doing. So it, it's all, 
reported information. So when I have extra sources, whether that's from the parent self-reporting or the teachers, um, it gives me a fuller picture and I feel like I'm better able to address the needs of the patient. Oh, I love that. I I'm learning today. I just did not realize that you connected with schools like that. I actually love that. So tell me what drew you to this profession? Sure. Um, well, I used to work in interven- interventional pain management, like we said in the bio. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, if you've seen car accident commercials, you know, if you've been injured, call so-and-so attorneys. <laughs> and that's what I used to work with. The, the attorneys would be like, okay, we need an MRI stat, like order injections and all this oh. stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't very fulfilling because I felt like all the care was dictated by the attorneys. You know, it was, it was so legal and not necessarily mm-hmm. the I feel like there was a lot of like secondary gain knowing that there is a payoff at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like as invested in it. Like I, and it was shorter term, like some of these patients, they, they would um, close their case in like a month or two. So I wouldn't see them afterwards. Oh, So I got kind of burned out from that. And, um, I found the psych position and I always had an interest in psych. Um, and it's just been such a good fit for me that I get to like, like you and your family, like I get to become so close with my patients and develop these really personal relationships Mm -hmm. and their successes are now my successes. And it feels so good to have that strong connection. And so I really feel at home with psychiatry just because it is so personal and really fulfilling on, on, I feel like my cup gets filled up at work. I love that. So something that I want listeners to know is that my oldest daughter is 18 and we probably saw, gosh, I don't, eight to 10 psychiatrists or nurse practitioners within the field. And some, some moved away, but Mm -hmm. some just maybe weren't a great fit for my child. And that's actually hard. I wanted it to work and I didn't want to offend another professional, but what I, I guess what I want to say is when we found Lindsay, my daughter just connected and actually so did my son, both of my sons. And so did I. And one of the things that worked for us so well is with autism diagnoses, um, these kids are fairly black and white and they don't want to be talked down to. They want to be talked spoken with and spoken with like an adult or someone who is looking out for their own best interest as well. And so Lindsay was able to really connect with my kids because she just treated them like equals and not, not someone who was potentially broken or needed help or maybe a what's wrong with you type situation. So I share that because what I want parents to understand is it doesn't always work the first, the second, the third time. And that's okay. You advocate for your child and you find what fits and works best for your family as a whole. And that's how it worked with Lindsay. So I actually send lots of my clients to Lindsay <laughs> because she has a really good skill set. Um, just a really good personality, quite honestly, where she just fits with this autism community that I love so dearly. And to jump in there, I, when I started the job, one of my coworkers said, you know, you might have a big struggle here because you don't have children yet. And like working with adolescents and teens and 
I, I've always considered that, you know, I never want to like give parental advice, you know, to the extreme to people or like mm-hmm. be that sitting on a high horse kind of approach, because I, I don't think I'm better than anyone. I don't think I have as much experience in, in the parental <laughs> field, obviously. Yeah. So that's why I do try to have, you know, that real talk approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think maybe youth is a little bit on my side that I feel like I'm up to date on like, you know, <laughs> talking to the teen community and everything, but yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's more of getting to know the person rather than telling them everything that I know, you know, I want to hear from them rather than just talk so clinically. Yes. Well, you've mastered that because my daughter, she Growing up as a teenager, she's actually crushing life at this moment, but <laughs> but growing up, it was a difficult experience and she just really did not connect with a lot of people. And so the fact that we found you and she connected with you was a huge deal for us. It was huge. So I want to ask you, if a child has autism, but does not have a mental health diagnosis, what would treatment look like if, say, medication was out of the picture? Mm-hmm. And so for me, my toolbox tends to just be medications, right? Mm-hmm. Like in psychiatry, I don't, I don't have that therapy background, but in all seriousness, I do prefer to stay conservative if possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I want kids on as few of medications for a sh- as short of a period as is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really reasonable to start with conservative modalities, whether that looks like ABA or like we mentioned, school accommodations, like mm-hmm. a 504 or an IEP. There's also lots of good school resources, like if there are motor deficits associated with autism, maybe doing something like OT through the school. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had a ton of patients have success with some of the social skills groups um, Mm -hmm. at schools. So I think that that's a really good place to start um, and see see where that social interaction, the functioning is before you would consider medications. Mm. Well, that is really good advice. And it kind of leads me into another question that's similar, but a little bit different. Where should a parent start if they feel medication may be necessary or at least an option for their child? Sure. I I feel comfortable with pediatricians doing initial evaluations and they're fully trained to prescribe psych medications. Mm -hmm. So if it's a comorbidity like anxiety or ADHD, that's fully within the scope of a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes pediatricians just don't feel comfortable after they've tried and failed one medication. Mm -hmm. So that's when it may be the time to um, look over to a specialist like a psychiatrist who has, you know, the nitty gritty background knowledge of, of all the psych medications. Mm -hmm. I, that clicks with me because we did go to our pediatrician first and what our pediatrician said to us was, you know, I am okay refilling medications after your child has seen a specialist in the field, a psychiatrist um, that has prescribed a medication and we know that it works. Mm -hmm. And so, but he didn't feel comfortable necessarily um, participating in the potential like ins and outs of medications and those experiences. So, you know, the trial, the trial and error that comes with, you know, it's, it's not always a win on your first medication, which can be kind of defeating, but, 
um, you know, as long as we have faith in the process, you know, we're, we're usually able to, to provide some sort of relief and success. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that a child or a parent can tell if a medication is appropriate for them? Meaning, is this a good fit for me? Is this a good fit for my child? Yeah. And I just look at the overall picture in that case. Obviously, if it's not a good fit, you'll see some glaring side effects potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if their personality totally gets blunted, like they're not laughing like they used to or their appetite fluctuate so much all of a sudden they're eating like, you know, a horse or they don't <laughs> eat at all with some medications mm-hmm. or they're so sleepy, they're falling asleep in class that you're getting emails from the teachers. I think those are some of the glaring issues where it's like, okay, this is not a good fit. Sure. Um, But then I look at some of the little measures like, hey, did they come outside of their room a little bit more? Or did they ask to play with a friend this weekend? Or, um, you know, are they just are they just more outgoing, feeling like themselves? Mm. So it's just it's it's so personal and so individual Mm -hmm. what that looks like. But, um, yeah, I think I think the parents know. So this is a personal experience for my oldest, but before we met you, we had tried, she had tried so many different medications. And initially there was one that she took that we thought, oh, this seems to be working really well. And we were, she was on that medication for, gosh, I want to say close to a year, but right around that year mark, it was so slow and gradual, but she started to, it was as if her, all of the things that had helped her started to not help her. And in fact, some of the side effects of the medication started to kind of come to the forefront, but I didn't know because it was slow. It was like the frog in the slow, the boiling water analogy where I, so I didn't recognize what it was until we were in kind of a, ugly state. She was in kind of an ugly state. So I guess why I share that and what I want you to talk about is some of the side effects and things that we might need to look for maybe aren't um, quick. They can take some time. So what should we be aware of? Yeah. And in, in that case, I think there's a lot of things to consider. How has life changed over the past year? You know, what are some of the environmental situations that may have changed that makes the medication less effective or we're seeing new side effects is, you know, during the pandemic, I, I feel like so many medications have just not worked to their full potential because there's so many added stress, for example, sure. or stressors, for example. So mm-hmm. I think looking at environmental changes um, and being aware of, okay, Hey, are we about to approach, you know, a tough situation with school or with friends or an anniversary of something that's painful? Um, so be on the lookout for things like that. And I would emphasize it's important to have regular follow-ups with your, your provider because we get snapshot pictures, right? And then we document that very well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little bit easier for us to see um, the snapshots and how those have changed um, and compare those two rather than someone you see day to day. It's like if you're, you know, if your friend from across the country is losing weight, you're not going to notice every day because you're not seeing her every day. But when you see her, you know, three months later, you're like, oh, you look great, you know. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that's my perspective is that I get to see those snapshots and compare them a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, these things aren't just set them and forget them. Um, I think the medications, if you are on them need to be continuously reevaluated because that's not uncommon to see this poop out as we call it, where mm-hmm. it's just less effective. Okay. See, that's so good to know. And just want to, I just want to reiterate, you were not working with us at that time. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was before we met you and had started working with you. So it was just one of the experiences that we had. So, but what I will say is now Brielle, my oldest is on a regimen that really works for her. And it took us six years to find that fit for her. And you helped us find that fit. And we were so grateful, but it has made a world of difference. And Mm -hmm. so it was a frustrating process, but we did find answers in the end for her. So that was, that was a beautiful, a beautiful end to a long journey. (laughs) Driving and, you know, just doing so well in college. It's, there's, it's great. Yeah. She's doing great. So sometimes this kind of leads me into this. My, I asked, actually asked my daughter, what kind of questions should I ask Lindsay? (laughs) She gave me some tough ones. So I tried to (laughs) kind of um, pick and choose, but she said, you know, I felt like a rab lat medically at times. And this was again, before she came to you and she said, are there any tips that Lindsay could share about reducing medication stress for our children? Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, it's, it's an honest conversation about managing expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, we may not have a hundred percent remission of whatever we're trying to, to treat, right? Like if it's anxiety, it may not be reasonable that you're never, ever anxious. I don't think that's what we're aiming for. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always tell my patients, I don't want you to be a robot. I still want you to feel things. Yes. You know, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be anxious every now and then, as long as you're, fe- as long as you feel like your overall functioning is there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most important thing to, to talk about right off the bat. Like where, where are we aiming? Like, what do we hope to get out of treatment together? Um, and I think it's also really important to emphasize that this is a collaborative process if you aren't comfortable with moving forward with some sort of treatment, you know, I definitely hear you. I'm never going to force any patient. Um, and I, I, I haven't met a parent that would force a, a child to go on any medication that they're really not comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important to hear and to listen. Um, other things that are kind of in the developing process, we do this occasionally, there is genetic testing. Um, and that comes in the form of a mouth swab. That's what I do. Um, It's a 60 second mouth swab and it grabs your DNA. We send it off to, we use the company Genomine, but there's other ones like GeneSight. Um, But yes, just a a lab and they amplify that DNA and then test it against how these genes may respond to different medications. It's not an exact science. It's definitely not an end all be all for this is exactly going to work for you. I would never guarantee that. Mm -hmm. But what I like to use it for is a guide to treatment. Mm -hmm. So if we've tried and failed a couple of things and we're feeling like that lab rat, uh, maybe that's time that we may want to consider doing the genetic testing just so both of us have more confidence in that next step when we're going a little bit off of our typically scheduled algorithm. Mm, That makes perfect sense. And 
And one thing that that made me think of is when you were talking about seeing the full picture, I think this is just another part of that full picture. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about expanding that picture for these children, often we're looking at additional therapies outside of what you are providing for them. So what types of therapies do you sometimes recommend to your patients and their parents? Yeah, of course, with autism, I think ABA is great. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I definitely recommend that. And then I think it depends on the comorbidities that that they have with their autism. Mm-hmm. So something like depression or anxiety, which are really common pathologies, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is the most effective therapy um, treatment for those, those pathologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and what CBT is, is you work on identifying some of the irrational thoughts or am I catastrophizing right now? Or my friend didn't text me back. She hates me now. Like where are the falsehoods in that? And how do we think about that a little bit more productively? So identifying these cognitive distortions and then using data to refute that, like, Oh no, she was just in the shower. She doesn't hate me. She just didn't respond yet. Mm -hmm. You know, like let's look at it in a more realistic picture that doesn't um, exacerbate the depression anxiety. So that's cognitive behavioral therapy. I, I think that's an excellent, excellent thing to work on because I think coping skills are so important for the longevity of your, Mm. you know, your life. You're always going to have challenges to face. Um, And so having that toolbox and, and skills, a skill set, I think is super important. And then that lessens the need for medications long-term. Like if we're doing something like a Zoloft or Prozac for depression or anxiety, if you're able to better execute your coping skills in the long run, you're likely able to get off of those medications, which is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I love that you shared that. And I, I've actually talked about cognitive behavioral therapy before as well. And I find it to be a great resource too, and a great method. Brielle, Brielle did that. It was tricky for her because it does force these children or our children to stop and really think through situations and to change their thought process. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be tricky initially, but it's all part of practicing, practicing that skill. And that's kind of been my soapbox recently. Like therapy is great, especially in that hour where you get that objective third party person to discuss things with, but it's also about what you do outside of that hour of therapy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think CBT is really cool because it often is accompanied with homework, like whether that's journaling or doing worksheets, activities, that's where I think you make the most progress is outside of that hour. Um, And if kids aren't, or, you know, your child, teen, whatever, isn't necessarily the most open. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are tons of CBT workbooks that you can find on Amazon. So if you're not really one, if you're a little bit more introverted, you're not super comfortable opening and sharing your whole life story with a stranger, maybe going the route of a, of a CBT workbook would be better for some kids. I love that you mentioned that. I happen to have one right here that I'm looking at. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. So I just have one more question for you before we wrap up. And that is, do you have any thoughts or advice or something that we may have missed talking about today that you feel like parents could be beneficial to parents um, who have children with some mental health challenges? Sure. 
This is a this is a family decision to approach medications or to approach treatment. And it's called the autism spectrum for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. There's varying degrees of severities and needs that that each child has. Um, so it's not it's not a one size fits all kind of treatment plan. Mm-hmm. This is individual to you, to your family, to your child. And there's no right or wrong answer. This is definitely your process. And you get to explore that as you want to, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong answer through this treatment process. It's, it's your decision. I like that you shared that one thing that Brielle continually says to me is mom, you can't medicate for autism. It is those comorbid diagnosis that you're medicating for. (laughs) She's like, you can't, you can't fix autism. You can just help with some of the, like we said, depression, anxiety, maybe OCD, some of those um, other comorbid diagnoses that exist. So I appreciate, I appreciate everything that you've shared today, all of your thoughts. You're so knowledgeable and we just, I just feel like parents are going to take a deep breath and say, okay, Lindsay gets it. So hopefully there are other people out there that can, that can, that have got it too and can help my child. So Lindsay, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Michelle. This was wonderful. I had such a fun time. Oh, good. It was great for me too. Those of you that are listening, um, feel free to join me next week. And also take a look at uh, my Instagram handle at navigating.the.spectrum and follow along where I'll share tips and tools and resources for you. And just know that Lindsay is one of those fantastic resources. So thanks again for listening. 